Hello, welcome back, Scouted Football fans. It is episode 56 on the Scouted Football podcast. Um, best to get into things right away. So if uh, you are of a Liverpool leaning, my commiserations about last weekend. But uh, if you're an Evertonian, I assume you're all still riding the same high. Duncan Ferguson appeared to be on at the final whistle at Anfield. Um, it's been an interesting past couple of game weeks in the Premier League. Uh, and I, for one, have definitely made some very questionable fantasy football decisions. I can tell you that. Um, but speaking of questionable decisions. Uh, we saw Thomas Tuchel uh, subbing on and off Callum Hudson-Odoi against Southampton last weekend before declaring he didn't like his energy and then starting him against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, um, which may have been one of those old-school Ferguson tactics of trying to get the best out of a player, but I suppose we'll never know. Um, we will be exploring a little bit of Chelsea under Tuchel in this week's episode uh, as we pour over the standout stats from the Premier League season so far. We will be looking to unpack and explain the whys and wherefores of which teams and under-23 players in particular stick out in the numbers. Uh, and to do that alongside me, I'm very pleased to say I have uh, The Athletic's Mark Carey with me. Mark is a co-host on the Football Fanalytics podcast, which is another great pod, um, as well as a data analyst at The Athletic, which sounds all very exciting and mysterious. Um, Mark, a pleasure to have you on. How, how are things going? Good, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be on. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. It's actually still quite novel to hear to hear that title of, of data analyst at the at the Athletic. It doesn't doesn't get too old at the moment to hear that. How long is it that you've you've, you've had that job? Actually, it's not even two months yet, so it's still sort of getting my my foot in the door, so to speak. But with, obviously, with the the current situation, everything and everyone is is working from home. So um, yeah, still still getting settled. But it's it's quite strange to not have fully actually met anyone that I currently work with, other than through uh, through laptops. Yeah, it is a bit strange. I've I've been in a similar situation myself, and it's it's difficult to see. You know, you're, you're trying to measure everybody up, and you're thinking, well, you know, I've, I've only ever seen them sitting down. Is 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 such and such six foot four? Are they are they five foot two? You know what what are we, what are we dealing with here? What, am I going to be completely off with my estimations when I finally meet these people? Um, that's just one of the things that goes through my mind in uh, the various Zoom meetings that we have, sort of every week. That I'm sure everybody is absolutely sick of. Um, but you're 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 a co-host on on the Football Analytics podcast, um, which by the name goes very much into detail on the various um, analytical concepts and tactics and that sort of thing. Uh, the most recent one, which is a great listen, is on Zone Fourteen, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is 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 a really in-depth listen. Actually, I was I was I was quite surprised that you know how concise and how you know well put across it was. But I suppose that's that's the wonders of the edit, isn't it? Ah, well, yeah, quite. That is absolutely the wonders of the edit. If you if you heard the full track, you'd. Uh... You'd be a bit shocked, but uh, no, I mean, that's the whole point of the, you know, our, our podcast and it, it does combine, the idea is that it combines things from a football fan's perspective, but, but has this sprinkling of analytics in it. And the, the idea is to be able to present things concisely to, to whatever audience, you know, if you are someone who really likes things given to you from a really technical perspective, then, then great. I think there's, there's kind of stuff in there for you there, but if you do want it just kind of really simplified and kind of want to learn something that you might not have known before, then then also there's there's something in there for you as well. And you know, it's it's me and you know my very good friend Ryan Bailey who um, we're just having some fun with it as well. Which hopefully that kind of comes across that we are just two mates who just chat football because that is essentially what we are. 
I would like to first and foremost, I'd, I'd like to apologize to Ryan because I, I realized that I didn't invite him onto the podcast <laughs> because I thought, well, it would be best just to have the one and, you know, the, the athletic is quite a pull, you know, <laughs> so I, 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 I rolled the dice and I decided to, to land on you, Mark. So Ryan, if you're listening, I do apologize for not, uh, for not getting you both on, but I do love the podcast uh, and I'd, I recommend anybody else who's, who's into that side of things to definitely check it out because it's, it's very relatable. It, you know, it makes, it makes life. Of, of what would ordinarily be quite difficult concepts it makes it sort of very engaging and, and, and approachable but um just back on to sort of the, the data analysis side of things obviously your role at the athletic is is to be a data data analyst um and and in in the world of football that is just becoming bigger and bigger what what is sort of the the day-to-day and how did you get into sort of data analysis yeah yeah good question i mean with the day-to-day um i'm <laughs> given that i am still early in the role it's still definitely uh, a case of learning i mean tom tom warble who is the the chief analytics uh, writer at the athletic has been so unbelievably patient and helpful in in answering my questions that i, I mean there have been many um of just getting into kind of the the do's and the don'ts the, the a lot of tools that we use uh, in order to to answer these questions of how we can dig into the data of uh, looking at trends and of players and teams in the in the premier league and, and wider across europe um, in terms of how I got into it, it was quite kind of fortunate, I guess, in many ways, in that I was um, I'd done my PhD uh, in psychology up at the University of York, and uh, I was doing a lot of data analysis in that regard as well. I mean, that was the key part of it was answering questions using data. That's that's what I was doing as part of my experiments, and I, I got speaking with a, a good friend of mine called uh, Maladin Sormaz, who um, basically said, you know you know that you can do this sort of analysis and just answer a different question, answer it in, in terms of football. It's it's really growing. Like you should get involved because me and him both love talking about football. And and I did really. Um, and I, I started my own blog and um, kind of got things going from there. And Mladin um, has gone on to, to a lot bigger and better things. He's now the uh, the head of analytics at Leicester City. So um, I was definitely under, <laughs> under his tutelage for for quite a while and he's really kind of pulled me through in, in keeping me up to date with all the the analysis trends and and they sort of now set me free and somehow I've managed to make a living out of it hey that's all we that's all anybody ever asks really <laughs> I, I was gonna say I quite I recognized um, Aladdin's name there so that's, that's quite interesting you got that that little link but um a PhD in psychology I mean that's uh, you know, you, you're kind of very much punching down on me here with my my bog standard two one in in journalism, but um, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's 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 really interesting sort of to to hear how you kind of have traversed that you know speaking the football language from your 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 expertise in in data analysis in another um, area, but um, and obviously now you know being a co-host on a podcast, you know it turns out that you've got the the gift of the gab as well, but you know <laughs> not quite sure like, about that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't worry. You you want to hear some of the outtakes on this one, believe me. Um, but the the premise of today's pod was was to to dive into the numbers in the Premier League this season because we know that there's you know a, a large uh, and, and definitely growing um, analytics and data community uh, in terms of you know people who like to watch a game of football with an analytical eye um, and you know like to um, you know attribute concepts that that maybe. Um, 10, 15 years ago weren't as weren't as common or, or maybe didn't even exist um, to, to explain the reasons why behind why things happen on the football pitch. Um, so what we've what we've decided to do, Mark and I, is is to break down sort of uh, the stats into you know goals, assists, 
defensive actions uh, and ball carrying because you know they're sort of the the four main pillars of of football in in the modern day you know you, you can't get by without scoring goals you can't score goals without assists and you know to stop the goals you've got to mm-hmm. get some defensive actions in there but um I, I think it's best if we if we start with the goals side of things um and I'm, I'm apologies to to Mark who for anybody who doesn't know, he's a Liverpool fan, but we are going to start talking about uh, an Evertonian, uh, which is particularly sore after last week's result. It's still too soon. <laughs> um, but we we have Dominic Calvert-Lewin this season, who has scored uh, 13 goals and counting uh, in 21 games. And that was quite a, a standout statistic because he is the, the youngest player with 13 or more goals in the Premier League this season. Um, but he also scored 13 last season, but in 36 games. So, you know, that's 14, 15 games less he's played this season. Where do you think this the, the uptick is from? Because, you know, there's there's not been a huge deal of, of, of churn in terms of transfers for Everton. So it's not like he's playing in a massively improved team from last season. But, you know, is is, is there something in, in the data, Mark? I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess the long and short of it is that he's getting into better quality chance areas. So the first thing you can look at there is his expected goals per shot. For for each of the the shots that he have that he has, what is the yeah the quality that 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 chance or that shot is is going to go in? And that's it, throughout all of his career, this is the the highest xG per shot that he's that he's had. Um, it's 0.22. So on average, he's scoring. He's he's taking a shot that's of a value of uh, a goal every five games. So I mean, you can see that in in the goals that he scored as well, right? Like he's scoring a lot. From the the six yard box, or what they call, I guess, the the second six yard box, and just behind there, and the, all of his almost all of his shots and certainly his goals are being uh, taken within the penalty area. So he's getting himself into to better positions and kind of optimizing his his uh, energy, I guess, on the pitch and not not just running around like a headless chicken. He's he's uh, yeah being far more shrewd in the, in the shots that he's taking. So um, yeah, that's also shown in the numbers. I suppose it it makes sense, you know, we're using numbers to, to paint this picture, but if you're getting in goal scoring positions more often and you're getting the ball service to you, then naturally, you know, in layman's terms, that you're going to score more goals, if, especially if you're as adept at, uh, at football as, as Dominic Calvert-Lewin is. You know, I think uh, this season, I just doing my digging, I found that 58% of his shots were on target, which is the third highest in the Premier League. And and the highest percentage of any player with 50 or more shots. So, you know, he's he's getting in these good positions. And as a byproduct of that, he's hitting he's hitting the target as well, um, which obviously is going to give you a, a greater chance of scoring goals. So one every five shots is, is ending in a goal for, for Calvert-Lewin this season, which, you know, in in layman's terms is is not exactly a bad a bad return. Um, and, you know, that, that translates to his his non-penalty xg you know it's the second highest i think just behind patrick bamford with with 10.2 this season um so that indicates that you know he is with 13 goals there's a slight overperformance there but i mean we, for a player of his standard you know you'd be expecting him to to perform a, a little bit better than than the average striker which is essentially what xg models are based on yeah yeah i think that's that's a really good point and in terms of looking at that that rate and I was talking about under twenty threes as well. That that rate per ninety uh, xG per shot is is the best of any forward and under twenty three. And looking at it, kind of yeah, at, at that stage is is also really important to to look at. And overall, aside from the under twenty threes, that rate is best for any forward um, behind uh, Lacazette and Edison Cavani as well. 
Um, so I always think that it's really important. Again, we do that on the the podcast, but also um, through the athletic, is to kind of give that wider context of yes, you know, we can throw numbers at people, but it's also important to see kind of where that falls uh, against his peers. And as you say, he's um, he's just behind uh, Patrick Bamford for for non-penalty XG. Um, and then looking at that again on a per 90 basis. So the number of minutes that a players has played can also come into, into players to how well they're, they're doing on certain metrics. So to sort of have a level playing field, it's important to look at it on a, on a per 90 basis. Um, and yeah, his, his expected goals on a per 90 basis is actually better than Patrick Bamford's. Um, his is um, 0.59. Um, expected goals per 90 and Bamford's is um, 0.51. So just a little bit better. So yeah, his actual chances um, that he's getting overall um, is, is worthy of better better than a goal every other game, which is, which is pretty decent. Um, and so yeah, so that's better than Bamford. There's only two people who are better than him um, across the whole of the Premier League. Um, I don't I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but do you know who they might be? Oh, this is interesting. Um Per night, because when you put it into per ninety, I'm now thinking about those players who, perhaps, um, I think, I mean, the sheer volume of goals. I think I'd have to go with Mohamed Salah. Interestingly, not, and this is where it's good to to look at things kind of per ninety, and it's it's good to to make sure that you're looking at people who have played enough minutes. You know, if if someone's come on for twenty minutes a couple of times, then their per ninety, you know, output is going to be. Highly skewed. So, um, what we tend to do is, is filter it for for players who have played. Typically, if if there's enough minutes in the season, um, nine hundred minutes or more, so ten games or more. But mm-hmm. I filtered it for five hundred minutes plus here. And the the player with the best rate, expected goals rate per ninety, is actually Mikel Antonio, which uh, which is quite an interesting one. That his uh, his expected goals rate is point zero point six five uh, per ninety. So. He's up there at the top, and Edison Cavani is just behind him with 0.61. So, um, don't get me wrong, Dominic Calvert Lewin is is up there um, in certainly in the top five for, for expected goals per ninety. And as I say, he's getting himself in into better positions. Um, he has got better players around him. I know that you said that they haven't made too many drastic changes, Everton, but mm-hmm. they have. They've gone from towards the end of last season from a four four two, essentially to to now a four. Three three, occasionally a, a four two three one, but you know with with James Rodriguez be, behind him and essentially swapping out Theo Walcott for James Rodriguez, I think it's fair to say that he is a bit of an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, just ever so slightly. Yeah, um, and they've got a system that really works now with Charleston on the left as well. So uh, yeah, better players around him, um, more closer to him, a lot more kind of midfield solidity and, and steel. Um, in, in Alan and, and Duacore as well. So I think that's also helping Calvert-Lewin to profit from being able to stay in these high quality areas and not do as much defensive work for the team. So, um, yeah, he's he's certainly out there. It pains me to say it as a Liverpool fan, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's certainly up there. Yeah, I was going to say, based on those numbers, I bet you're glad he didn't start the game uh, last week and it was sort of carrying a little, little bit of a knock. But yeah, it's uh, not not that it mattered in the long run, sadly. Mm, um, sadly. But the the, <laughs> the the one question I think that, that we have to ask with, with Calvert-Lewin is, you know, the, the the absolute plethora of strikers that, that Gareth Southgate has to, to choose from this, this summer uh, ahead of the European Championships. Um, you know, are you putting them on the plane? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any question of that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I'd say 
obviously Harry Kane's a shoe in, isn't he? I think I think Calvert Lewin is a shoe in as well. Um, I mean, we've, we've spoken about Patrick Bamford. I think that even though he hasn't actually got any international experience, I think there, is, there definitely is something to be said about picking players who are on form. And, and Bamford does so much off the ball as well as on the ball that I think he's definitely um, in with the shout of of getting in the England squad as well. But yeah, Calvert Lewin's had a taste of international football as well, hasn't he? He's done he's done yeah. pretty well. Um, and I think he's just got all the tools to to play internationally. He's so aerially dominant. Um, he's definitely, yeah, obviously got an eye for goal as we've spoken about. So uh, I don't see why, I don't see who would maybe get ahead of him given that he's he's been in the, the previous squads recently. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and it was it was a good job that we we discussed this and recorded this now. It's sort of towards the end of February because I think next week he turns 24, which uh, <laughs> for anybody who's not aware is the scouted cutoff. And after that, you're, you're dead to us. That's it. You're, you're old. You're going in the recycling. That's it. You're finished. Um, so I'm glad that we've managed to get a little bit of Calvert-Lewin love in uh, before before he goes because he was great at the England unders you know with the the under 20s um when back in 2017 so um it's it's one player that I'm really sort of really pleased that it's kind of worked out for because you know doing doing the hard yards at Everton sort of when when he perhaps wasn't scoring as many maybe playing in a bit more of a withdrawn striking role Mm. you know having to play with Theo Walcott rather than James Rodriguez and, yeah. you know, maybe not having the, the influence of Luca Dina on, on one side. Um, yeah, he's, he deserves it. He's earned it. Yeah. On to assists. Uh, and and the, the player that I've picked out for, for, for assists in, in the numbers is Marcus Rashford because um, Rashford is, uh, well, has, first of all, a fantastic human being. He's done fantastic work uh, over the past few months. Uh, Marcus Rashford has, has six assists from 2.1 XA, which is expected assists. Um, Mark, I'm just, br- just briefly, for anyone who's unaware or, or would like a refresher, what is expected assists and, and how, how can it be used or you know, what, can it, what can it tell us? Nice. Yeah, this is this is something we've spoken about a lot on uh, on the Football Analytics podcast as well. But um, I guess so expected assists, a bit like expected goals digs a little bit deeper in terms of the quality of the shot and it adds that bit more context. Um, expected assists is essentially an extension of that um, because assists themselves, they, they can be such a, a poor indication of, of someone's creative ability. And you think of a lot of players and you judge them by how many assists they've got but it's it's really not a fair reflection of their creativity because you could have one player who's who plays a two-yard pass and then their teammate goes on a mazy run and puts it in the top corner and someone and you can have another person who's yeah goes on the run themselves and puts it on a plate for a player six yard box for a calvert lewin as we spoke about before and both get an assist but the t- the two people who have you know made that assist has done very different things. So so what expected assist does is simply measure uh, the likelihood that that the pass that they make will actually lead to an assist for a goal. So it adds that further context again, a lot like expected goals of just how uh, how much the quality of that pass is. Um, and again, it's presented between a a number of zero, so absolutely no chance of an assist to to one, which is a, a certain assist. Uh, so it just adds that bit more context of just how how well the the pass has actually led to the the likelihood of a goal. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to draw on a, an example from Syria. But when I was sort of diving through the numbers of the top five leagues, I found that uh, Rodrigo de Paul at Udinese has, has got two assists this season, 
uh, and he's got some daft XA figure of something like seven. Uh, so hmm. you know that's a, that's an underperformance of, of of his teammates really of, of of about five goals. So I'm 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 hoping that DePaul doesn't have a grasp on XA yet because he'd be going into the training ground every day <laughs> with a face like a slapped ass. Because um, you know if if people like Kevin Lasagna aren't putting your chances away, you're gonna you're gonna have a bit of an issue with them. But um, with with Rashford, you know six assists from two point one XA. You know there is there is a deficit there. Um, or rather an overperformance mm. of around three point, well, f- essentially four assists. Um, only Harry Kane has a greater overperformance when it comes to XA in the Premier League this season. Um, but is, is, is it the same as sort of expected goals where you'd expect more creative players to get, uh, to, to, to overperform their XA figures because they are by definition, better players, so they are better than average. Yeah, I think it obviously is the case with expected goals, where more often than not, all players you know, regress to the mean, as as we like to say, over a long period. But I think expected assists is a little bit different for for the example that you gave, where you know you have to then rely on the other player or multiple other players, depending on who you're setting up each time, to to finish. And they might all have different finishing abilities. Whereas if it's expected goals, which as I say, typically you, you do kind of even out over time, is is only you each time taking that shot. So it's the same person. Whereas if this makes sense, that with expected assists, you're passing to different people each time or you potentially are passing to, to different teammates each time. So there's likely to be a little bit more kind of noise or variation in that regard. Um, but you're right that, yeah, Rashford is kind of overperforming against his expected assists and it's it's one of those I'm I'm kind of the, the same on the on our football fanatics podcast and I'm always the the one who's a bit of a mood killer in that Marcus <laughs> Rashford has got you know a lot of assists this season um but on a per 90 basis again he actually jumps quite significantly down the list on a on a per 90 basis his expected assists are 26th in the league for for all players so just just that bit lower um so it just shows just how much he is is doing well, you know, in his assist versus expected assist. And someone who is doing really well in, in terms of a per 90 rate of expected assist is Phil Foden, who, I mean, is just a joy to watch, isn't he? I think mm-hmm. obviously he's got quality players around him, but he's he's definitely getting getting into quality areas and, and passing to others in, in quality areas as well. So, um, yeah, Rashford is very good and a, an even better man, as you mentioned, but... Uh, yeah, when you even out over a per ninety basis, I'm sorry to say that he might not be as as good as uh, as you might imagine in this season. So all I'm hearing there essentially is because Marcus Rashford doesn't have a tram line in his hair, then we should pretty much discount every good thing he's ever done. Basically, so you know that is that is that is uh, Mark Carey's uh, decision there that, that Phil Foden is the one you should be focusing on, not Marcus Rashford. But no, I I, I understand where you're coming from. You know, per ninety is is the the metric that you um, that you should be going off. Um, and yeah, Phil Foden, uh, absolutely. You know, for for the for the amount of minutes that he plays, the, the one thing that has always sort of stood out to me, and and amazed is too strong of a word, but the thing that you know has has always been has been there was that Phil Phil Foden is coming onto the pitch in the seventieth, seventy fifth minute, sixty fifth minute. He's having to get up to the speed of the game, and yet he just does it seamlessly. You know, mm. creates chances seamlessly. It helps that he's playing with so many good players around him, but he still has to find them. Um, and you know to be able to create those chances regardless is um yeah it's it's i mean it's it's an endorsement of how how hugely talented he is 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about Foden and how he does definitely get up to speed. And I know that with, with all Man City players as well, you can't, for a fantasy Premier League perspective, you can't bank on any Man City player playing each time because there's just they've got a gluttony of, of quality players that they rotate so well. But that's an interesting point about Foden because there's another bit of context from an analytics perspective there that his numbers do look really good, but he is coming on quite often against tired teams who have already been worn down by Man City's quality going forward. And it might slightly inflate his numbers in the sense that he's he's obviously yeah coming on to a to a tiring team and able to to run them ragged with his with his energy and with his quality. So um again over a longer period it's always important to look at. I mean Phil Phone's having an amazing season, but still important to to look at it over a longer period. But um yeah, his numbers certainly are stacking up really well. Um, it's interesting that we've we've mentioned obviously all these English players, but the the next one is English as well, uh, and that's that's Mason Mount, who uh, this season has has three assists uh, from four point five xa, uh, and I, I believe there are only five players who have more, four or five players who have who have a higher xa figure this season, um, and understandably that a lot of that comes from from set pieces uh, because he is on free kicks corners for, for Chelsea um, but just sort of looking that up it, it's it's interesting because the, through the, the entirety of last season uh, Mount registered 4.6 XA in the Premier League which you know there's effectively they're, they're mirroring each other and we're two-thirds of the season through um, so you know there's the scope to say that he has definitely improved in that regard um, but there is the set piece caveat you know how much value does uh, a great set piece taker add to a team in terms of you know uh shot creating actions um you know boosting his own xa um boosting the a, a team's you know uh, total xg just by having a, a really good dead ball specialist yeah i mean there's there's no doubt that being on set pieces definitely helps to boost your your numbers in that regard but um it's it's good that you kind of caveated it straight away as well and that's something that we that we look to do in in our writing you know in the athletic and something that we um that we do on the podcast as well where you do have to kind of separate them out because mount is the perfect example of how it just simply inflates it so much and i mean looking at his expected assists again per 90 if you look at it with set pieces included He's the third best looking at all the under 23 players, but you take out set pieces and he goes down to the 17th best. So again, just, just having that extra context, you know, if you didn't know that he was on set pieces, you might have a misrepresentation of just how creative he is. So yeah, you're, you're right to add in that, that set piece caveat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely useful to have players who, who have great delivery and put it you know, in really dangerous areas. But I guess looking at that difference between assists and expected assists and that he's got the opportunity to put it in great areas. But that discrepancy, again, comes from the fact that you need the players to to get on the end of it. Um, and Chelsea have, to be fair, Chelsea are really strong on set pieces this season. They, I think they've, they're up there is, with the most, um, most goals scored from set pieces and from corners, certainly. I think there's a few that stand out. Thiago Silva's got one or two. Kurt Zuma's got a few as well. Um, and yeah, that's down to the quality of the... The balls that played in, but it does rely on them them actually finishing it, and potentially sometimes the the finishing ability of these you know airily dominant players at Chelsea might also make Mount actually look a little bit better as well. Because if you've got if he's putting quality balls in, and no disrespect to let's say Sheffield United, um, but he's putting those balls in and and they're not able to get on the end of it, then his overall numbers actually aren't going to be as good. But hopefully, I'm I'm saying things that are quite obvious to people here as well. 
No, I think anybody who's watched Chelsea this season, who, who's watched Mason Mount closely, they'll know that, you know, from open play, as you say, you know, he his his creative numbers shall we say are are hugely helped by his his set piece uh, ability um and you know if you wanted to put a quantifier on it you know 14 places essentially is is what what you just said you know taking him from third to down to to 14th once you strip away the set pieces in terms of um his creativity um it's it's interesting because he's he's actually had the most shot creating actions from dead balls this season in the Premier League with thirty five, uh, and and he was sort of ahead by quite a margin, um, which tells you that you know he, his delivery is good, and as you were saying there, there are you know ample opportunities for um, for players to get on the end of them because they clearly are because shot creating actions are, are the two offensive actions directly preceding a shot. Uh, so you know a pass or a dribble or or the foul that is won immediately before a shot is is taken um, by either that player or uh, the a player that they um, are passed to by. Um, so yeah, it's it it shows that you know Mount has. It's it's not to say no no do, do not put Mason Mount in your fantasy team because he's not good he's not actually good at creating the chances that we want from open play no but to the contrary he's very good at creating chances from dead balls but um, that his numbers are perhaps a little bit inflated by that um, and I think that's reflected in the fact that he's got uh, you know a very very high number of key passes uh, this season with only Grealish and Bruno Fernandes. Uh, with more and notably they have 10 assists and nine assists respectively mm. uh, a lot of those coming from open play whereas you know mount uh, a lot of his key passes are, are coming from from these set pieces which i suppose is you know why we we should be careful with key pass data or or chances created you know these terms because a key pass is just the pass that precedes a shot like mm-hmm. as as you were saying earlier you know a player who dribbles 40 yards and then passes it to a player free in the 6 yard box that's a key pass but a player who passes just over the halfway line to a player who then goes an amazing dribble and scores uh, or, or takes a shot. That's also a key pass. Um, so, you know, is is that essentially in a nutshell why we need to be careful with key pass data? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know that you've spoken about this on, on the podcast before from from listening to some of your episodes. So, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And we we know what the better alternative is. And and that's expected assists, which which yeah adds that value and that, that context of, um, yeah, the probability that that, pass that they're making is actually going to lead to a goal and this is something as well which is again we, we say on the podcast and is important to say um in all senses of, of the word from a football analytics perspective that, that the context is key and i know that we've spoken about it you know a lot before but it's it's absolutely crucial that we don't just we're not driven completely by the numbers and there's a reason why you know we're talking about the, you know the footballing context around Mason Mount. We're not just going purely on his numbers. You need to actually, you know, watch the game and see why that pass was like that, or whether it was actually a, as good a chance as, as we might think. And yeah, the context is key. Is is the the absolute phrase that we always go by. You must actually dovetail the the data um, with with what you see by eye as well. N- never should the two be completely separate. But we we think that together they can be really supportive and. And key passes is, is a key example of that, where if you are to just to look at it and say that someone's got more key passes than another, great. You might think that, okay, the one player is better than another, but that that context of of what that pass was um, is where it really comes into its own. And yeah, there are other measures that, that can help with that, like we said before about expected assists, but there's also watching the match and actually seeing <laughs> that it was a key pass or it wasn't a key pass. Um, and that adds context as well. So 
I'll keep saying it, but context is definitely key. Yeah, well, that's a mantra to live by there with the context. Um, and and I mean, the, the example that was kind of popping into my head when you were saying that was, you know, it would be like saying that just because a player has more shots than another, it makes them a better striker. Whereas, you know, those shots could all have been ballooned over from 40 yards and, you know, very Absolutely. much Alessandro Diamanti style. Um, so, you know, there's... There, there are there are caveats and, and as you say context is very important um which is funny you should say uh, it's almost like we planned this um <laughs> but but the next player context is very key uh, and um it's 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 a player who you'll be you know very familiar with uh, trent alexander arnold um and i i mean we've I, I've, I've included him in the, the assists section of the plan here but the one that, because of what we've just said on on about context the one thing that I'd, that really, really irks me, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't. I should have more going on in my life that this shouldn't, <laughs> this, this shouldn't annoy me. But is whenever I see um, statistics, and I use that with sort of air quotes, uh, that, that get bandied about on Twitter about, um, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold lost possession thirty times in this game, and everyone's going, "Oh, that's shocking. That's terrible. He mustn't be that good." And it's like, well, well, no. Again, context is important here. What kind of passes is he trying? Mm. You know, he's he's he, in that little space just over the halfway line. What about those crosses and those passes, the crossfield balls that he's trying to bend into the penalty area, which, you know, one in 10 may work, but think about it. Who else is capable of doing that in the Premier League? Is that essentially, is that, it probably doesn't annoy you as much as it annoys me, um, but is that something which has sort of been on your radar as well? No, absolutely. And it does, it does annoy me just as much. I mean, you can call me just as sad as you if you want to as well. But, um, no, it, it does. And that, that's where I think that, again, I come back to it with, with our, our podcast, but that's where I think that a lot of people who are you know, a little bit more in the know about football analytics and statistics have a kind of a duty of care to, to help to kind of maybe educate people who, who might offer that statistic without any context because you know, they're, they're not doing anything wrong. They're just trying to work out, you know, trying to build a picture out of something that they see in, in the numbers. But I think we all have a duty of care to, to help people to, to add that context and, and realize that there's more to it and there's a reason why that statistic exists. But yeah, as you say, if you just throw statistics at people then and hope that some of it sticks, then I think that's potentially quite a risky game to play, I think. But I mean, you're right with the, with the possession loss one. Absolutely. And we, we do something, we use this quite a lot in um, in our articles in The Athletic of, of turnover percentage of essentially being of the total touches that a player has, how many times do they lose possession? So if they have the ball 100 times and yeah, they lose possession half of the time that they have it, then they have a turnover percentage of, of 50%. So quite a simple kind of metric to, to work from. But the people who have the highest turnover percentage, as, as you say, are typically the ones who have the, the high risk, high reward pass. And you've got to be careful of, of using it because the people who are yeah, highest on this are the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Kevin De Bruyne and Trent Alexander-Arnold, as, as you say. So, I mean, just because someone's high or you know bad on something, so to speak, exactly as you say, does that mean that they are then bad players? I think we can safely say that the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Kevin De Bruyne are not bad players. So that in itself shows that there's got to be more to this statistic than just that they aren't, that this player isn't very good at it. And of course, that context is that they are going for that that difficult pass um, and the one which, yeah, when done well, 
um, yeah, can lead to a chance on goal. And that's that's why they are the players they are. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think sometimes it's used by um, engagement heavy accounts who are, who are just trying to, to use it as a stick to beat him with or, or a Liverpool player in general, because we know there is that. Um, and uh, I've, I've never quite understood it, but hey, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure you've had to put up with plenty of times. Um, obviously, you know, I've put him in the assists column uh, and, you know, I, I haven't really done any any digging really into this and, and perhaps the reasons why I, I've kind of, I was, I was hoping to leave this to you being the Liverpool fan. Um, but, you know, 25 assists over the last two seasons uh, and, and just three this season, you know, it's actually in line with his XA, you know, with, with it being around 3.1. You know, what what do you attribute the drop-off to? Because, you know, we've seen plenty said about why Liverpool have, have had problems this year. Um, but, I mean, what's your what's your assessment of, you know, the, the lull, I think? And I, and I think it's a temporary lull in, in Alexander-Arnold's sort of creative output. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of players, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of those where you say that he's he's too good to not come out of this stronger so I think it is very much a temporary one. And again, if you were to look at it over a longer period, overall, he's still doing incredibly well across you know his whole career so far, which is completely in its infancy as well. He's so young. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I actually don't have too many numbers in my notes sort of written down on Trent because I've just, maybe it's because I feel so passionately about it <laughs> as a Liverpool fan that I can just rattle it all off. But I think that, you know, a key thing, I mean, you can't hide away from the whole injuries thing, but I think it's more nuanced than just saying they've had injuries, so they're struggling. But there's there's definitely, you know, he's getting forward less. I don't know what his actual kind of average position on the pitch is from this season to last season, but I'd be highly, but I wouldn't be surprised that to see that he, he is a lot deeper. And I think that's because there's a lot of less protection behind him. So he was able to to really bomb on and essentially just camp in the final third where knowing that he would have essentially Jordan Henderson just tucking into that sort of half space on on the right-hand side of him. Whereas I think he's just thinking twice a little bit as to whether to go or not and just knowing to to stay a little bit closer because he knows that he hasn't got the likes of Virgil van Dijk and, and Joe Gomez to to protect the you know the defensive line. So definitely I think the fact that he's, he's, his numbers are down is that he's, he's also not attempting um, to get forward quite as much. And it was it's a, a definite tactic that Virgil van Dijk each time on the the left in the left centre half position would just play a raking ball to to Trent who would always be and often be high on the right already and they'd be able to start the attack from there. Whereas this season, I think they're building through the midfield a lot more. There's there's fewer switches of play from from the defence because it's a different defender each time. But you know, judging by the recent weeks, that. He, he's he's not able to already pick up high positions and receive it there, and then you know the space in behind. And yeah, I, I could go on for for hours on on this, but I, I definitely think that it's it's simply because he's not getting the ball in in as many dangerous areas to to do that. I don't think his, his the quality of his balls are are any different. I'm satisfied with that. That is my that is the scouted football opinion. Um, that is by proxy now. Uh, that is you know that is, I'm very uh, I'm, I'm content that that Trent is, will come back. Bit, maybe not bigger, but better. I, mean, I don't think he's going to grow anymore. He's not that young, um, but he will come back just as good, if not better, uh, than he was uh, before. Uh, and and obviously, as you say, it's nuanced because you know, again, with with assist data, it relies on other people um, to, to to help you out in that regard. Um, moving on to defensive actions, uh, and obviously they are tackles, interceptions, pressures, you know, the like, uh, basically anything that you'd categorise a, a defender to do uh, primarily. Uh, so, I mean, 
with I think sometimes we see with with defensive stats, you know, they are the ones which perhaps a duty of care should be used um, to it to a greater degree because defensive metrics are nuanced in the sense that they need to be possession adjusted. Um, would would you be able to give us a, a brief explainer on on what possession adjusted metrics are and and why they're important, or rather, why possession adjusting uh, to tackles or interceptions is important? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I can try, um, but <laughs> you're right that it's it absolutely again. It's it's probably the one where there is that duty of care the most um, to to you, yeah. You see it a lot on Twitter with yeah X person has made a hundred interceptions in the game, and you just think, okay, well. There's, there's a reason why there. And essentially, it's important to, to possession adjust the, the metrics because you can't perform a defensive action if you don't have the ball. And it really is quite as, as simple as that and that you need to to have the opportunity to defend to, to actually make that defensive action. So, yeah, one player might make far more interceptions than another, but you need to account for the fact that they've had more opportunity to do so. So, I mean, the one the example that I always go to, and you won't be happy to to hear me say this is that you compare Newcastle and Manchester City in that someone who does a lot of defensive actions isn't necessarily the better player so yeah you might you know you look at someone like Ruben Diaz that he actually it's probably actually the absence of his defensive actions that make him such a great player so if you were to do it based purely on his his numbers you'd uh, you'd maybe say that he wasn't such a great player but yeah you compare the fact that Man City completely dominate the ball and they barely give up possession versus maybe a passive team like Newcastle where yeah the defenders are going to make a lot more defensive actions then it's it's yeah, it's incomparable so a way that you can combat this and it's really neatly done by by Tom Warville um at the Athletic um a little plug there was was he's in a really neat way is that um he adjusts it by looking at the number of times that a player makes those actions for every thousand touches that um, an opponent makes um, when they're on the field of play. So a really kind of equal proxy to go from where all players, to some extent, as best we can, kind of have an equal opportunity to defend and say when they are out of possession, then how much do they you know, engage in these defensive actions? So that's, I guess, why it's important and, and what we can do at least to try and uh, yeah, level the playing field a little bit. Yeah, I think leveling the playing field is probably a good way of, of you know putting it finally there because I think yeah you know if you're out of possession a lot then you're going to be doing a lot of defending and by default you're going to probably register more defensive actions. Um, so you know that's that's just a, a a byproduct of 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 being a defender who who plays in a passive team uh, like Newcastle and and I, <laughs> and I and I don't mind at all you know you plugging uh, the athletic in there because you know we're always we're all about sort of helping up and coming um new sites uh, <laughs> to really increase their uh, <laughs> increase their following and their <laughs> and the like um but yeah I, I'm reliably informed actually that that Steve Bruce on the Newcastle dressing room wall has the um Paolo Maldini quote of uh, well I say quote uh, of the uh, if I if I already if I have to make a tackle I already know I've made a mistake yes. but has crossed it out and uh, has has decided that um, that no the more tackles you make the more successful you are <laughs> get goals um, but yeah that's 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 reliable information absolutely airtight uh, from, from a Newcastle insider obviously I do I absolutely love that quote we've used that quote before but um, 
No, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that the thing with defending as well, um, again, with, with everything in football, but I think even more so with defending is absolutely placing just that bit more importance on video analysis and live scouting, you know, from a recruitment perspective, because yeah, for everything that we said, if you were to just dig into the numbers, which is a naive thing to do to just base your perspective solely on numbers, but I think it's even more important for the reasons that we just said that you need to see that context of how a player is doing, you know, in in real life and and yeah as i said before that absence of defensive actions is probably what makes them a, a quality defender and you know things like positioning and um making sure that they are yeah picking up their man that, that all the off ball stuff um is the the thing that really makes a, a good defender so i think yeah really difficult to to look at um from a statistical perspective but i guess let's let's try and talk a little bit more about it because i know that we've got more to to speak about with uh, some players in the Premier League. The, the intangibles, the unquantifiables. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And, and to, to, now that we've just had that discussion, uh, I'm just looking at my notes and quite conveniently, I've, I've put Declan Rice, third most successful tackles in the <laughs> Premier League this season, which, uh, as we've just discussed, that means absolutely nothing. And it does, it speaks to the fact that, um, you know, when I was first started sort of getting into like the analytics, uh, you know, very tentatively, you know, going on who scored in my university lectures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was looking at the sort of the de- the defensive action metrics and and being like, why are all the bad teams defenders apparently mm-hmm. the best defenders? And obviously that's why possession just makes sense. But anyway, on to Declan Rice, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is playing in a team who are not a bad team at the moment. Uh, currently fourth in the Premier League, are they not? Correct, uh, West Ham. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, in terms of tackling, he's he's keeping pace with uh, Rodri and Pierre Emil Hoybierg uh, of Spurs. Um, again, both not playing for for, for bad teams. Um, but uh, again, in my notes, I've put a Rice's numbers inflated by West Ham's tendency to sit off. Um, or or is he the man we should be calling Spider Legs, not Juan Bissaka? God, you can tell I wrote this one late. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny actually. In my notes, off the back of that, I wrote that Juan Bissaka is the real OG for tackle win rate. So I think I was a bit tired there myself. But um, yeah, I think it's it's important to look at it in in terms of kind of win rate as well. So I guess Declan Rice being having you know a lot of successful tackles is yeah the reason behind that is as you mentioned is the fact that he's got more opportunity to do so and I think also Declan Rice has played the joint most minutes of any player in the Premier League as well so Mm. he's not only has he got more opportunity within the team because they have less of the ball but he's also got more opportunity and that success rate is simply because he's played more than than anyone else so um, that's another factor as we said then quantifying it more per 90 minutes is always key as well but um, his his win rate is is still uh still pretty decent I think it's still in the, the top 15% for a midfielder so uh, you know he's still definitely up there he's not, I wouldn't say he is the best but he, he is certainly up there and yeah I think the fact that West Ham do sit off as well is is an important one and coming on to another defensive metric here of um, PPDA for, for those who don't know that's passes per defensive action so it's a it's a proxy of a, for a team's pressing intensity um, and West Ham are certainly a passive team in their approach. They have one of the lowest pressing intensities uh, in the Premier League. I think they're 17th um, for the PPDA metric. So yeah, he's certainly got more opportunity to do so. So the numbers might inflate it a little bit there, but yeah, for all the reasons that we said, you can you can adjust that um, for a number of reasons. But yeah, West Ham are an interesting one, aren't they? Because they're doing so well. Uh, the, the gap between, normally it's the ones who are quite passive 
who are further down the league. And again, mm-hmm. sorry, Newcastle are a passive <laughs> team and you know, further down the league. But West Ham are just defying that at the moment because they are quite passive in their approach, but they, they've clearly got a way of working in, um, yeah, in, the, in the Champions League spot at the moment. It's the Czech brotherhood of, of uh, Kufal and, and Thomas Suchek yeah. um, that is really working. I, I was I was yeah, I loved seeing that when Kufal was down with what looked like a head injury the other uh, the other day, uh, Suchek just bounds over and to check he's okay. He's like, no, he doesn't need a doctor. He needs me. Yeah. I'm here to look after him. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned passive teams in Newcastle because um, it's funny because with PPDA. Um, it, it, that shows up Newcastle every year in terms of how passive the, the press is, uh, at least the last two seasons anyway. Um, and the thing that I found quite funny a few weeks ago was, well, not funny, funny in a dark way, um, <laughs> was that, that Newcastle had either the lowest or one of the lowest three uh, PPDA um, in, in the Premier League uh, and yet had conceded the most counter-attacking goals, which... <laughs> <laughs> Seems a bit counterintuitive, but hey, there's nothing that makes sense about that team. So you know, it 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 defies you know to to coin a probably a Peter Drury phrase, it defies description. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are a bit of a head spinner. I mean, I haven't done a piece on the Athletic with um, with the Newcastle reporter Chris Woff, and I don't know whether I should probably steer clear of doing so because from an analytics perspective, they are just a tricky one to to work out. Um, so yeah, I might be steering clear of anything from an analytics perspective. Moving on to uh, ball carrying, which is the, the final sort of metric that we're the, the final area that we're going to discuss in terms of the numbers this season, and and we're going to Wolves because you know everybody knows Wolves have got great dribblers, and that's because Adama Traore is there with his baby oiled arms and and what else. Um, <laughs> but it's not Adama that we're, we're going to discuss. Um, it's actually his his Portuguese teammate Pedro Neto, which. You know, saying Portuguese teammate doesn't really narrow it down all that much, but um, <laughs> only Adama has has made more attempted and completed more successful dribbles than Pedro Neto in the Premier League this season, um, which is it's a surprise actually because um, while I've seen a bit of Wolves and while I've seen a bit of Pedro Neto and, and been quite impressed with him, I wouldn't have put him that high. Yeah, I think it is an interesting one. I mean, it's, it's important as well, I think, to kind of distinguish carries and dribbles yeah and it's always one which kind of gets me a little bit in that so dribbles is is when a player with the possession takes it past an opponent but carries can be running with the ball unopposed so i guess in in terms of like looking to beat their man you'd look more towards dribbles and looking for someone who just simply yet likes to carry it forward obviously you'd look at carries um i mean with Neto as well. I feel bad for Neto sometimes because he has such technical quality. I think he's such a brilliant player. And again, for his age, he's he's really gifted. And sorry, Wolves fans, I do think he'll be moving on to a better team in the near future. Um, but I feel for him a little bit in the sense that obviously Jimenez's injury um, this season, which you know we all wish him well to make sure that he's back safely soon. But he needs that kind of focal point again talking about someone's assists and expected assists is that he he creates a lot and he's really dangerous but then he just doesn't in recent weeks and months just doesn't have that focal point to for someone to get on the end of it quite as much and it kind of makes him look a little bit worse i remember watching a game against united where he he took on some some players and it was he got to the byline really well and he was about to cross it and he just realized there was no one there so he had to turn back come back and he kept possession but it, yeah, where the opportunity was to maybe get a ball into the box, he just he couldn't quite do it. So I do feel bad for him that he's uh, is maybe his quality, even though we're talking about him in glowing terms now, 
um, isn't maybe highlighted as, as much as it maybe should be. I think with Adama Traore, I think he is, he's, he's baby oiled up. He's fast. He's, he, he can, he runs like a steam train, but as I think is well documented is his end product. Um, it's just not good enough. I think, I mean, he's got obviously no goals, no assists this season. Um, he flirted with the idea of, of improving on his end product. I, I can't remember when it was now, but he, he, it was at the end of last season, I think maybe. I think it was, I think it was last season. Yeah. Yeah. He started to actually do fairly well and yeah, I'd have to look a bit more into the numbers on him, but he'd started to have a bit of end product and that's kind of dropped off again. And I think he, he kind of lacks purpose in his dribbling and in his carries compared to Neto, who I think is always kind of looking up and seeing who's around him a little bit more. Whereas I think Traore is a bit more head down and just draw players towards him, which can be interesting, like, you know, can, can be beneficial in that he's committing two, maybe three players towards him and it's opening up space for the people. But if he's not then passing to those people in space, then unfortunately Wolves don't actually then get on a good attack. The thing with with Adama Traore for me is that it's almost like he's he, he's a he's a character on FIFA and the the buttons have all just jammed. Um, <laughs> so you you go to you go to sprint and the the tr- the right trigger has has jammed uh, and he's just <laughs> he's just sprinting full pelt and yeah. and whereas Pedro Neto would maybe be a bit more uh, less full throttle with the trigger, shall we say? Um, but you know it's interesting that you say that maybe. Uh, Adama Shore for, for for how good he is at dribbling and beating players maybe isn't as uh, effective or efficient with with you know that end product and I think that's reflected in um in 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 shot creating actions again coming back to that so Adama Traore and, and Pedro Neto are, are both on par uh, for shot creating actions preceded by a dribble um and they're both on 12 which means that you know even though Traore is 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 dribbling and beating players more um, that you know he he's not turning that into shots for his teammates essentially you know he's not creating these opportunities for his teammates um, and while they are both sort of streets ahead of, of the rest of the Premier League in terms of um, carries dribbles you know both both metrics um, only Harry Kane which is actually quite surprising um, has has more shot creating actions preceded by a dribble uh, in the Premier League this season and he's only one ahead on thirteen so you know for, for Wolves to have two of those two of those players, you know, it makes you wonder, like, if Jimenez was in this team, how much better would Wolves be doing from from a purely, you know, being a, a, a Traore and Neto providing these chances off the back of dribbles standpoint? Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. I am quite surprised about that Harry Kane one as well. It's That's good. I'm going to have to go back into the numbers after this uh, after this episode just to, to look into that a little bit more. But um, yeah, I think that is a really good point in terms of it, it then... It, these sorts of metrics actually require a shot to be taken in order for it to kind of be logged. And there's there's more advanced metrics out there, which I think are really interesting and probably for another episode uh, that, mm-hmm. that actually look to quantify that in terms of from when a player starts their possession to ends their possession for whatever reason, how much value do they add to the team towards them scoring their team scoring a goal or certainly taking a shot, but the shot doesn't actually have to be taken. So I think that's where it's, you know, certain examples called like non-shot XG um, and there's certain things like uh, possession value and expected threat, which I'm sure yourself and a lot of the listeners will be aware of, but there's some really interesting, more advanced metrics, which allow you to to look at that. And I think Chari would be quite, quite high up in, in that regard uh, as well, you know, because he maybe doesn't have that end product quite as much, but he does certainly advance the ball 
sometimes sideways, sometimes out of the stadium, but quite often, you know, towards the goal, he actually does add value in getting it into higher quality areas and progressing that ball forward. So, um, yeah, there are loads of other metrics that can maybe add a bit more context, as we've spoken about before, to that. Um, but, but yeah, the, the shot-creating actions one definitely obviously requires a, a shot to be taken to, to show them in that light. I mean, I have absolutely no doubt that Adama Shaori, um has a very high expected threat value because he's absolutely terrifying when he's running at you. Um, <laughs> you know, when, especially when you're a team near nearer the bottom. Um, you know, it's, it, it does make you think like, just let this game finish, please. I'll take <laughs> I'll take a one nil now. Just get just just take me to Palace or something like I don't know a team where well actually definitely not Palace because they've got Zaha and Ebrieze. So um, yeah, what am I saying? Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it, it it's it's one where again context needs to be applied because of course if the shot doesn't come at the end, you know you could you can maybe feel a bit aggrieved like Rodrigo de Paul, uh, for example. Yes. Um, that's all, folks. That's all we have time for. Uh, a nice round hour, I think we'll 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 finish at. Um, I hope we haven't scrambled your brains too much with, with all those numbers but, and provided a bit of context there. Uh, and do remember that context is king. Um, but it's certainly been an, an, insight, an insightful one for me, definitely. Uh, and, and I'm sure Mark will, will agree, in, especially in his line of work, but there's, there's not too many great feelings than you know, stumbling across a statistic on a player or a team that you know, confirms your assumption or assessment with the eye. Um, and and as I say that, that there aren't too many great feelings. Maybe that's a reflection of how I need to get out more. Um, but <laughs> thank you to, to Mark for giving up his time. Um, where where can people find you on Twitter and, and also you know listen to the football analytics pod? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, they can uh, find me on Twitter. I'm uh, Mark Carey ninety three, um, and the the podcast is on my bio as well. But um, you can always find us on at analytics pod. Um, and yeah, we do encourage people to listen to it and. It's yeah. If they like anything like this episode, then there's plenty more where that came from on on our podcast. But if it's if it's not for you, then yeah, feel free to to follow me and follow the podcast uh, either way. Excellent. Well, stay tuned for more from the Scouted Football Podcast wherever you get your pods, or alternatively on YouTube. Um, make sure to get yourself over there and, and subscribe for more Scouted content, as well as if you would like this sort of analysis in written form in print form then please do consider buying a scout football handbook uh, we have just released volume 9 which has a fantastic illustration of Gianluca Scamacca on the front um, that's all from me I've been Joe Donahue and you've been listening to the Scout Football Podcast bye for now